call it. Call it, yes. For what? Just call it. Welcome to episode 126 of Call It Friend of the Podcast, where two friends watch two films decided by the flip of a coin. This week, myself, Andy J. Ritchie, and my co-host Danica Tiernan watch two films starring Russell Crowe. 2014's The Water Diviner and 2012's Les Miserables. As always, the podcast contains spoilers for the films right from the start. Check out JustWatch.com for streaming and rental options in your region. You can find us on Instagram at Podcast, where we never post anything. Drop us a line there for any feedback or recommendations. And find me on Letterboxd at AndyCIFPod. Apologies for my low volume throughout the episode. I promise I will go back to eating the mic again next week. Peace. I'd be interested to talk movies at this point if you want to. <laughs> yeah, let's do that. Let's get into some real shit that counts. Indeed. What have you been watching? Well, I watched two things that were not the two things I was supposed to watch. I did also. I only watch watched one thing that was not watch. the two things we were supposed to watch. Do you want to sandwich your one thing in between my two things? I'll sandwich my one thing in between your two things. That's not the first time I've said that to you. Hey, oh, it's not the first yeah. time I've said yes. By the way, I just want to say I listened to Mike Rice on a podcast this morning. What? For reals, for reals. I was listening to the Just Laugh podcast, which is by like three Scottish comedians. Which Was I, it funny? Um, which, which I listened to from time to time. Yeah, it was very good. Who knew? Who knew? <laughs> yeah, Mike's a great storyteller. It was. He, it was is, very yeah, funny. Yeah. he talked a lot about his like childhood on the farm and the school he went to and stuff. Pretty mad, mad time. So check out another podcast. Check out the Just Laugh podcast. No, wait, shit. It's called Some Laugh. Oops, I forgot. Anyway, some Laugh, check it that out. Some Laugh. He is Some Laugh. But more importantly, or less importantly, depending on if your name is Michael Rice or not, I went to the cinema to see the new surreal oh, A24 God. comedy Dream Scenario. With Nicolas Cage. With one Nicolas Cage. He wasn't Cage. there. It was just me. Oh, right. Okay. Sorry. He was there, but he was on a screen. I love the premise of this movie, but I'm like, does it work as an entire thing? It was originally slated to be directed by old Ari Aster, the world's most normal man. And it was going to have uh, Sandler in it. The old Sandman was going to be the star, but Aster backed away and he gave directing duties over to Norwegian Christopher Bergli, who is what has the he direct done Sick of Myself. That's oh, so he's done no, the. It's, he hasn't just done Sick of Myself, Andy. He's done a film that we did on this podcast. No. What? The other Norwegian one. Um... No, that's not the same guy who did The, wor the Worst Human oh, really? Lady. In Why have I seen The Worst Person in the World? Why have that's I seen those said. looped in together? I don't know. Just because there's Norwegians, isn't it? They're just going to fire them all in. Ah, right. Fair thing. enough. It's, it's the same. It's the same guy. It's all the same guy. You're right. It is the same guy. No, no, no. But legitimately, uh, no. It's probably just it's me. It's not the same guy. Is that guy's ignorant. called like Nicholas Person? <laughs> I swear his name's like Person or something. Anyway, go Sanderberg. on. What's uh, this? What's this fruit done with Nicholas Cage? Is it good? So the film stars Cage in his full sad sack adaptation mode as like a middle aged professor who's just the most average Joe schmo in the world. His friends and family and students all describe him, describe him as boring. And then one day, for some reason, people all over the globe start seeing him in their dreams. It's such a brilliant his, premise. His five minutes of viral fame. 
that's actually maybe one of the biggest problems because the reason I went to see the film is because the trailer is ex is really effective. It's extremely effective. But if you've seen the trailer, you've kind of seen everything. Oh, no. So it's just the premise. A knock against it. It's a great premise. I would say the biggest problem here is like it's not laugh out loud funny. It doesn't match up to the best Charlie Cro the best Charlie Kaufman scripts like um, adaptation or uh being john malkovich yeah being john malkovich uh eternal sunshine of the spotless mind like that's the kind of stuff that it's aiming for but this is just doesn't it doesn't hit the same heights it's interesting it, you know it's a solid enough film it's it goes into the consequences of fame in the social media world and then what happens when who wrote things it? sour a spirigen hugeberg <laughs> right okay i'm assuming it wasn't some Norwegian guy. It was written by Christopher Borgley. What? How the? F oh, so he wrote it, but again, Ari Aster was going to do it, but then I guess they just decided, nah, this Borgley, he can handle it. He can ha he can do the heavy lifting. So Aster Lamb did it, and it is. Uh, it's it, it does have one amazing. I don't want to, no spoilers, no spoilers. But there was one scene where tension is built up and up and up. And then it reaches a breaking point and there's, I don't want to, but this is not, I don't think this is a spoiler, but I'll just say this. It's a fart joke and it murdered in my screening. People were, and me too. I was really, really laughing. Like I had, I was, oh, wow. I, I literally wiped tears away, but it's just because it, it builds, I, I feel, I don't know if I've spoiled it now. I don't know. But it builds up the tension, and then the release of tension is so funny. But the rest of the film doesn't. The rest of the film doesn't match up to that. But it is still entertaining enough. I was never like looking at my watch or going like, you know, is this when is this ending? It was fine. Michael Sarah's in it. He's pretty good. But Cage is brilliant. Cage is so good. Yeah, it's very good. So I would say it's worth watching. It's three it and sounds, a half. Stars it sounds like I it's uh, yet one, yet one more uh, testament to. You know when people give the uh, very obvious, very unconsidered opinion that they don't like Nicolas Cage, and you can automatically just say, "Ah, you don't really watch movies." Yeah, I think we like, talked about it before, and at least a couple of things is like shaman-like style. Yeah, he the way he uh, put it was he he he'd be like a roadshow actor in the Wild yeah. West or something like that. Yeah, yeah, but uh, like for real, like it, like it's almost like. In my office in the last week, I've been putting on Christmas songs all the time on the on the stereo. And it's funny to me because whenever somebody give, says to me, oh, my God, it's mid-November, putting on Christmas songs, <laughs> it's almost like a detector. Ah, you don't really have your own <laughs> opinion on anything. You're just you're just saying the cliched thing that you're supposed to say. It's like and, and all the interesting people who I knew were interesting already are just like laughing about the fact that or I put on Christmas same, songs like, in so November. It depends. I mean, it depends on the song. Some of them are really fucking annoying. But the vast majority, I'd be like, whatever. Well, no, the part where I get the real laugh is with... I clearly wouldn't get it from you because you'd just be pushing your fucking cart of mail by planning your next serial killing that's how you operate in an office oh, we'll, 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 we'll get to that shortly in my second film yeah but but yeah no the more like the the sort of people who've got a good sense of humor will look and say 
who put on this music? And I'll go uh, as somebody will say, Donica. And it's somebody who's clearly annoyed by the music, but not willing to express it yet. And then the person who originally asked will look at me and we'll both have a little laugh. We'll be like, yeah, this is pretty funny, isn't it? I guess I think of myself as an entertainer first, boss second. I'm just saying that you're David Brent. That's all. I get what you're saying. <laughs> I'm not in charge of anybody, fuckface. Okay, okay, okay. And my jokes are more clever than that. Come on. <laughs> That's a clever joke. No, it's not clever. <laughs> clever is the wrong it's, word. It's, it's clever to piss people off. I think it's good. To, <laughs> it's it's actually, I'm a dick. You're right. Fair. Um, I only have one film to report. One that was... Um, oh madly i yeah myself and my wife were arguing through movies on saturday afternoon i think um just trying to get something in before uh aaron woke up and settled on i mean obviously my first port of call would have been something about somebody doing a fucking heist or some bullshit like that but we were just there flicking through things she wanted to watch crazy stupid love which i did not want to watch i like that yeah. Me too. I also liked that, but I didn't want to watch it. But then we settled on Dark Water, the Todd Haynes movie about a lawyer taking on DuPont. Is that what it's Chemical. called? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or is it dark? Is it not Dark Waters? What did I say? Dark Water. I just the only reason I know that seems like a stupid thing. No, it thing is Dark say, Waters. But... Is the Japanese movie? Yeah, yeah, dark yeah. Water. That's because yeah, yeah. I th I thought you were going to be telling me about like some watery ghost that comes out of a bathtub or something. No, but, in, but... but instead, yeah, tell me about Teflon. But I did watch that uh, Japanese movie with a sixteen-year-old girl when I was seventeen, and oh, <laughs> around Oof, two. I was worried for a second. Two-thirds of the way through, she let me touch her breasts. Anyway, nice. Watched Dark Waters, the Mark uh, Ruffalo one. Is this your first time seeing it? Yes. Have you seen it? Yeah, I've seen it. I've watched it, I guess, when it came out. Okay. So, I mean, add it to the pile of spotlight-style comfort yeah. watches. It's, uh, yeah, it's really fun to watch. And it's odd because in the back of my mind was that thing that you said about somebody saying spotlight was a comfort watch. And I was like, this is a comfort watch. Cause you're just watching, you know, the outcome, you know, all the beats of the story. Oddly, this is more disturbing than a uh, spotlight to me. Uh, despite the fact that spotlight like is about Catholic about pedophilia. <laughs> and um, this is, you know, the most you see is animal cruelty. No, there's some deformity in there, but I'll tell you what, there's some, like one of the children affected by the chemical dumping appears in the film, which is quite a thing. No, no, I mean, it's a really nice moment, actually. And I don't know, in general, I, I, I despite the despite how I might have interpreted uh, my own comfort watch reaction to Spotlight earlier and this, I think there is an element of sort of, I don't know, faith in our societies in that, if you get me. Like, it's nice to see that. Because actually, do you know what? You know what makes this sentiment happen in the movie is one, the head of the law firm for which Mark Ruffalo works is played by Tim Robbins, you know, fam Tim Robbins, famous activist. And there's this great scene. Oh, by the way, I should I'll give a quick run through quickly for people who don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. So Dark Waters is a film where Mark Ruffalo, a, a qualified environmental lawyer, goes to work for this company that ends up protecting um, clients like that, ends up working for a farmer local to his grandmother whose cattle have come off all deformed 
next to a dumping ground for DuPont, the chemical company. And he just the thing you're expecting is all the pushback and he keeps going and he keeps going and you get that. But like with Spotlight, with um, Liv Schreiber's character, Tim Robbins's character, and apparently this film is very accurate, by the way. Like DuPont tried to raise a suit against it and they backed it out of court themselves. Apparently it's very accurate to, to the way... When was it again? Was it in the 70s or the 90s? I can't even remember. No, it was uh, nine, uh, 90s to late 2000s. Now or something. Yeah. yeah. And um, yeah, the Tim Robbins character... In the like in the middle of a meeting, as opposed to what you're expecting from Hollywood characterization, which is you need to stop this right now or you're fired. He, you know, sits in his lawyer seat and says, this is clearly wrong and extremely fucked up. And these are bad people. And uh, we need to get this sorted out. And uh, I don't know. it For me, it really worked. I was really gripped. I like films like this. I like that people doing their job and the good thing winning out it really this is the type of film that makes you throw away your frying pan well yeah for the teflon in it yeah you're like fuck that i don't believe i have a teflon frying pan come on now anyway yeah this but also another part of this that might have been disturbing for me was well i grew up on farms so just all the cattle dying like i've seen that not from teflon pans but like just from Diseases that are in the air that don't affect humans that'll kill fucking COVID. five five cattle and, and shit. So anyway, yeah, I would uh, recommend people check that out. As I said, for some reason, a comfort watch. It was a comfort watch, but uh, yeah. What's your second one? My second one, spoilers, just to say this is the best film I watched this week. Oh? It's a little film called The Killer. Uh, I wish I'd... Fonchet. I planned on being able to share opinions with you uh, for this episode on this, but didn't have the time. I'll watch it tonight. Go on. I won't say too much then, but uh, I missed it. It had a very limited cinema uh, run here. One week here. uh, Edinburgh was basically nothing. So I ended up just watching it on the old projector, which, as I said, the other other episode is like, it's fine. It's pretty good. Not too bad. It looked nice up on the wall. Can I put a pause this on you? One. Yeah. The trailer makes this look like when I saw the trailer for this, I said, this film's like a soulmate for me. Like, I want exactly this. Is is that what it is? I, I'm interested. I haven't seen the trailer, I don't think. I don't think I watched it. So I didn't really know what to expect. I've seen every Fincher film except for Mank. I still haven't brought myself to watching that. It's the I, least Fincher film in the Fincher filmography. I guess I have to watch it at some point, but I just don't want to. But, but you're so not I, interested in Citizen Kane. So not why really. the fuck would you? I mean, I watched like, Citizen Kane, but... Trust me but... on this, Andy. You don't need to watch Mank. I've seen Mank. I'll but never just, watch it again. And I, I, want I, to I have love seen all David the Fincher, Fincher stuff. I get that, but I... Oh, fair enough. Do what you got to do, but... I, I'm not going to watch it. I'm going to put it off and off and off. <laughs> Thank goodness. Anyway, The Killer. Talk to so me. So I, I feel like my expectations were pretty low, especially knowing that this is like a Netflix property and... I, I think Mank is, is like firmly in my head of like, is Fincher boring now? I don't know. I didn't know really what to expect. This is based uh, on like you're, a, a you're so lucky novel. you didn't see that trailer because that trailer I just said, made me go bazinga. No, it doesn't give away a plot. It just gets you in the mood for 
what Fincher is good at. Well, this film stars Michael Fassbender as a Le Samurai style international assassin who kills people while listening to the Smiths on his iPod. Uh, as someone on the blank check subreddit said, Fincher should make a sequel called The Smith about a blacksmith who listens to the killers, which I thought was a, a solid joke. Quite clever. Yeah. The first 15 minutes or so of the film is just like Fassbender in Paris staking out a job and narrating the process. That's the part that I'm not sure that I don't know how you'll feel about that because a, a lot of it is just Fassbender talking over the top. Well, Explo I'll say explaining his thoughts to the audience is a lot of I'll say obviously, shows. obviously there are situations where narration works and is, you know, it's the optimum thing to do. And I'd say when telling a story about a profession that nobody understands. Yeah, of course you want to hear the narration of a fucking assassin preparing for a job. Seriously, that wouldn't bother me at all. That would excite me. That's the time for narration. <laughs> I'm so as, excited to see as this. Soon as Fast I'm going to watch this after talking. this podcast is done, by the way. As soon as Fastbender started talking, you know I was on board. I was just like, yes, tell me. Just tell me everything. He is tell me great what thinking, as Michael. well, isn't it? He yes. is like he's very good in this one of the best actors of his generation he was going off the ball uh, going off the boil for a while because i mean we've talked about By assassin's choice. creed and some of the other shy they no did. but i i read um i read an interview where he said it was very much by choice was he a big drinker or something um not quite a big drinker but he settled down he was like he was a big drinker i'm sure who wasn't um, but he settled down, he got married, and um, him and the missus uh, are in Lisbon. They live in Lisbon, Portugal, oh, now, yeah. which is a beautiful city. And uh, he basically said, well, they both had enough money to figure out a pattern of living because they wanted to have kids. So they've started to have kids. And sure, I mean, here's the thing. Because somebody in work said to me, oh, yeah, but somebody in work mentioned the snowman to me and how terrible oh, the snowman is. Yeah, that's not um, his fault. Because I, yeah, exactly. I was like, there, there's no smart director in the world who wouldn't want to have Michael Fassbender in their film. Like, he's so enigmatic in a strange way. I, he kind of reminds me of like Michael Keaton, <laughs> which is. Uh, <laughs> You're the first person to ever say that, I think. No, because Michael Keaton, I think all of his roles work so well because Michael Keaton looks a bit mad. He looks a bit crazy. And I think Fassbender. Looks a little bit nuts. Even in the think, Quentin Tarantino. I think Tarantino, that's his German side. Just something in his eyes. He looks like he's got a wildness to him. He's got a bit of the old Aryan in him. And he's a hoppy's ass too. Anyway, continue with this. The basic plot of the film, this is not spoilery at all. There's no farts that I can recall, but the killer fucks up a hit. He faces blowback on his loved ones, and then he proceeds to go after everyone he holds responsible. That's it. It's a very, very simple story. But uh, Fincher does a great job of transporting you into the world of the assassin. And I can't think of anything else I've watched of late that so firmly put me into the world of the film for two hours. Like I was completely separated from the outside world. Like I, I didn't want so to look at my phone or anything. This. I was fully on board. It's very funny. It's written by Andrew Kevin Walker, who wrote Seven and that, uh, yeah. Eight Millimeter, and has punched up a ton of other Fincher projects. Overall, I really enjoyed it. I'd definitely watch it again. And uh, if anyone gets the chance to see it in cinemas, they definitely should. It's the best adaptation of the Hitman games that, uh, that I've ever what seen. What are some other adaptations of that? 
There was a one with uh, Timothy Oliphant back in like 2007. Hold on. Then... Oh, you're being glib. This isn't actually another. No, no, no. This is based on like uh, it's it's based on a French graphic novel. But okay, this okay, is okay, it, okay. it's basically the same as the Hitman games if you've ever played those. It's, it's I have that played same those. Idea. Yeah, yeah. Especially the modern take on those is. I'm very excited to see this. Uh, I, yeah, I just had such a time-consumed week. I didn't even get to watch it on Netflix. I I would love to uh, watch it in the cinema, but I'm very, very excited to see this. And uh, by your review, it just sounds like... like every. Do you know what? Every review you can read around the place gives this four stars. I gave it was, four stars. Which was the exact same scenario, by the way, when Zodiac came out. And these days, Zodiac is a five across the board. <laughs> it's a 10 everybody. star. Yeah, yeah. It's just everybody just has given that movie uh, room to breathe. I'm not saying this will be the case with this, but like, you know, when someone like David Fincher's releasing a movie, everybody's, including you, probably, uh, everybody's, and including me, everybody is set to don't get overexcited now. <laughs> it's just a David Fincher movie, but he's so good. He's produced so few, even to quote uh, Roger Ebert uh, talking about Werner Herzog, even his failures are interesting. I mean, I assume Mank is his worst film. You can't really worst count one I've Alien seen. Three. I do uh, count Panic Alien Room, Three. Panic Room, I guess. I like Panic Room. It's very simple. It's but he he said that about Panic Room. He was like, "This well, is a is movie. Simple, yeah. This isn't a film." Because he has that big thing between film movies and films. Movies are for audiences. Films are for audiences and for other filmmakers. Huh. That was how That's he nice. talked about it. Yeah. So the killer, I'm not sure. I I already get the sense that I'd like to see it again. It's see, very well made. Seeing as we're talking about, I don't know, films and film directors and so forth, and get ready for a fucking thrilling segue. What did you think of the Water Diviner? Quite possibly the finest film that no obviously not it was fine it was okay i like the setting but uh yeah okay maybe we should uh, here's the real but question. i'll start with why, this. why did you choose the water diviner let's say that because i'd also okay. be looking no because that is actually too. very relevant to my to my opinion of the film yes right so somebody who has listened to our podcast occasionally suggested to me directly as a negative that we should uh, watch the water diviner so I had negative expectations set in. Now, I'll have to say this. This enthusiasm ebbed particularly in like the last 20 minutes of the film. But for most of the time, I could not believe how good I thought this was. <laughs> and I like I'm not saying I'm basically saying that from a perspective of a expecting it to be shite. B. It's an actor directing his first film. We've done this on the podcast before. We well, It wasn't his first film, but Motherless Brooklyn, I thought was a giant piece of pants. I just thought, <laughs> and, and you know what? I didn't think the story was bad, and neither do I think the story is bad here. I just thought it was poorly directed, Motherless Brooklyn, main thing. But I think this is actually well directed. And I think the parts of it that are bad are moments in the script that they hadn't prepared for beforehand and probably just didn't have the money to shoot adequately. Maybe ma mainly the developing relationship between um, Olga Bond girl and Russell Crowe's character, like which, you know, develops between scenes, basically. 
but I thought it was well shot. I certainly thought all the World War One stuff was bizarrely well shot. I think he did a really good job with those. I think his years of working with uh, Ridley Scott really showed in some of the 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 train attack, for for instance. I thought was very well shot, and also there were parts of it I found quite moving. Like I said, the script wasn't quite complete when they moved to shoot, and maybe that's something a, a more experienced director could have figured out beforehand. But generally, this massively exceeded my expectations. It's a very good thing when the biggest complaint you have to make about the movie is the weird font choices. The font is terrible. <laughs> I know you, exactly what you're talking about, yes. In, in the opening and yeah, they, in the, the, the title cards. They were um, just going like Turkish. We we yeah, want yeah, you yeah. to we want you to know where this is. But generally speaking, I thought this was really good. Well, here's my opinion. I think it's a serviceable film with some good performances, some very cheesy moments, some very poorly composed shots with poorly executed effects. The ones that spring to mind include Crow screaming while holding his dead wife with soaring strings playing yes. over the top. Yes, the music yeah. is 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 doing a different film. Yes, uh, the music weird is weird cushions doing... on characters' faces. There's a lot of strange camera moves uh, early on. I remember with um, Major Hassan when he's down at the beach looking for looking for dead people. There's a, some really bad slow mo. One is when Crow and the hotel lady and her son are at the Turkish baths. It goes into slow motion while they're splashing water around. Just some weird little things like that, which. I think that that doesn't really stuff, matter, but it pissed me off a bit. No, no, but I think that stuff is uh, is that failure. cover or something? I yeah, I think it's covering think fuck ups, isn't it? I think it's covering poorly written scenes. Yeah. This is my theory of it. Uh, they because all the scenes where their relationship should develop are basically missing. They're all covered with montage and stuff, and I think that they shot those and realized. Ah, these are kind of bollocks after they had shot them. Um, that makes sense. And just uh, opted to edit them out. Because there is, particularly in the first 45 minutes, let's say, Crow has kind of, like, he's got a good eye for how the story should be structured, I think. And it loses its way. But My only are... other criticisms were the wife who kills herself in the first five minutes <laughs> says like yeah, two lines. Yeah, 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 yeah. Who could do seeing a little bit more of her? The only and the other thing is that the three brothers have no real character traits except for being bloody good bloke, bloody good blokes, and one is older than the other two and has to look out for them. That's it. Yeah, and also when the no, I I would. To be honest, I wouldn't have too much of a problem with... I wouldn't agree with the the issues that you have because I don't think they need to exist as characters so much. But what I did have a problem with was then how much of just a completely vacant lot the brother was when they found him at the end, which... Yeah, I don't, I don't think they knew what to do with him. No, no, they didn't. That's what I mean. It was... The filmmaking is... Decent, far more decent than you could expect, but there's 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 major holes in the script. But overall, considering the the means in which this was recommended to me, I felt this was way better than I I expected it to be. I was expecting a bad movie. I like the period. I'm interested in the Anzac campaign and World War One and it does, like, it's a fascinating campaign. I could, I could like watch anything and set in this region and, and period 
And I think that they they achieved the period well enough in a kind of like in the style of something like Cold Mountain. Like it's not as well as that, by the way. I think that film's excellent for but what I what I mean to say is they're not aiming for authenticity, they're aiming for believability. And you can conceivably feel you're there, I think. How does water divining work? That's my that's my takeaway. Yeah, who the, the fuck knows? Who the <laughs> fuck some knows? Fucking... Yeah. And wait, can you can you find the bodies of people because they're mostly water? But they were skeletons at that point. He shouldn't have been able to. Is there water in bones? Well, you These know are what the this type of heartache. I mean, you're the you're the type of person who does their research, so you know what the movie is based on, right? The guy. So it's based on one line of one text line, from yeah. the researchers. I'll give you a bit of background on this. I'll give you some background on this. Uh, so Andrew Anastasios, who was doing research into the First World War and the Anzac troops, he, him and his wife, Megan, uh, uncovered one line in a letter written by Lieutenant Colonel Cyril Hughes, who's Jai Courtney's character in the film. And it said simply, one old chap managed to get here from Australia looking for his son's grave. And so... They, in your in your words, took that line for a walk and uh, built an entire story around it. And they were working on the script. They were working on the screenplay at the same time as writing the novel. So the novel ends up being like more of a novelization of the script. And it leaves us with what is firmly, for better or worse, a piece of historical fiction. Mm. I don't know. In, in way, like there's parts of it, again, like I think the first hour of this is the strongest part of the movie. Because there's something about it that's trying to reconcile with the Gallipoli campaign and also something that's just primordially Australian, like that part where he's hiding under the blanket with his sons. In uh, the big sandstorm. In the sandstorm. Like, I found that quite moving because we'd already learned that the sons were dead at that point. Mm. And just, I don't know, being like, I can't help but relate it to my own situation. Like That's because you're a Faja. Exactly. And my daughter is growing up and saying words and fucking making me laugh and being, I don't know, just asking intuitive questions and stuff. Six and I, I held her in my arms when she was useless, <laughs> just <laughs> completely fucking useless. Now she's full of utility. And she was well, she's just asking, like, if I tried to smuggle heroin into the house while her mother was away, the truth would get out because she's no longer an unconscious observer. I thought she was asking how to smuggle heroin. <laughs> Papa, me puedes dar un poco de esta acción? No, no, no. But uh, that that part did move me a little bit because you got to see them with their childish foibles and then at that point you already know they're dead, which must have been, I mean, a well-worn story in Australian families around the Gallipoli campaign. It's such an important event for the history of Australia and New Zealand because it was the first time that their troops had fought under their own banner and not the uh, British Empire. And, and like so it's, 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 it's also real importance for them. It's very definitive for Turkey. It's also very yeah, definitive so. as an action in the Great War that really needn't have happened. Like the amount of the amount of spilled blood on that for the tactics that they were using that would have changed, like, had they been, I don't know, had they evolved even to something like, I'm about to get very nerdy here, no, no, I won't do that. Had they evolved to a slightly later form of tactics, 
the 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 loss of life on both sides would have been quartered, maybe, because it was just they were just driving at places where the other side had machine guns aimed, and they're like, okay, right. we'll continue just fucking blowing the shit out of you guys. Yeah, it was uh, horrific stuff. I watched I mean, a few videos of like some of the monuments and cemeteries and things like that. It looks like a pretty interesting place to visit. It's also very close to Troy. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's pretty cool to go to. Have you ever been to Turkey? Yeah, I've been to like Izmir, Pamukkale, so I'm like, very further down the coast to, a bit. Um, and also I was you, five years old, so. you never been to Istanbul? No, I would love to go, yeah. I'd love to go to Istanbul, yeah. If only that were, if only there were a way, but no, it's just impossible, isn't it? <laughs> the last capital of the Roman Empire. One day. I prefer to call it Constantinople. City of Constantine. Yeah, that's where I live. Yeah, as in Keanu Reeves. Indeed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, uh, named supernatural after. detective founded yeah. the city. Everybody knows that. Till the All right. there. What right. the fuck else the you plot. got to say about what this bullshit? Just the, yeah, the yeah. plot, baby. The fucking It plot. starts in 1915 with the Anzac withdrawal from Gallipoli. They ran away. Hey, I, wisely so. They got, they got chased out of there. They've landed in April 2015, I want to say, and by the end of the year, eight months later, they had pulled out after a brutal, brutal campaign. So we just see the very end of the uh, the, the Anzac troops withdrawing. And yeah. then in 1919, a year after the end of the First World War, Joshua Connor is water divining and he finds a, a, he finds a well that springs water out of it in the middle of the desert. That's what that is. The out, but the outback. I don't know what happened to my accent, but you get it. You know what I'm talking about. It back, mate. <laughs> Neither of us have ever been anywhere near Australia. Clearly, his three sons are presumed dead four years earlier, and neither Joshua or his wife Eliza, played by Jacqueline McKenzie, are coping well with it. We see Crow reading children's stories to the three sons' empty beds which uh, is rough. Following this, Eliza's overcome with grief, blaming Joshua for the children's deaths and the fact that their bodies were never recovered, and she commits suicide by drowning herself in the local crake. The crake might. At which point, a dickhead Irish priest. <laughs> yeah. The old uh, arsehole Irish priest turns up and says, you know, you're, she's not going to get into heaven because she suicided herself. And Russell Crowe says, nah, mate, it wasn't a suicide. She slipped or something. What did, how does he say that she ended up in the water? Exactly that. I can't yeah, remember she, the she wording, but that's what he says. Face yeah, yeah. first. So yeah, that was it. It wasn't a suicide, was it? But priests will be priests. Anyway, this drives Joshua to go to Turkey and get his son's bodies back to bury them with his dead mother. He travels to Turkey and he stays in a hotel in Constantinople run by Aisha, played by Olga Kurilenko, and mm. her brother-in-law, Omer, 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 who plans to take Aisha as, her, as his second wife. Out At this point in the movie, I was brother. I was enjoying the simplicity of the whole story. Like it's quite obvious what's going nice to happen. Well, uh, you know, Omer, this guy Omer, he's going to take her as his second wife. And later on in the film, we see Aisha going to his house and getting shown the room where she's going to stay by the first wife. Oh, who yeah. Says something like, like, "He'll come and stay with you every third night or something." And the thing is, as respect well, to Omer, respect as to somebody who, who like who has seen. Olga Kurilenko as a Bond girl. You're just going, no, no, I don't accept this. She's I don't know. too too beautiful. After respect the traditions, I say. That's what I say. That's good that you say that. Aisha's got a son called Orhan. He's very cute. 
he speaks English. He's a Mr. Mr. type uh, Dr. Jones, but Turkish. And uh, he's a good kid. He takes short Joshua round. around the city short round. He takes Joshua around the city and they develop a close bond. Then Joshua tries to get a permit from the big evil colonial British bastards in, in order to visit Chanakale, as it's called in, in Turkey. But they tell him he's wasting his time. So he just gets he gets a boat to take him over that drops him off exactly where Jai Courtney, the, the Anzac captain, and his troops are this working. This is the first time for me that the kind of... Uh... Major gaps appear in the film's budget. It's a bit of a limitation, yeah. It's a bit of yeah. a limitation. He has to just, he gets dropped off. Just appears there. A boat. He's like, all right, that's exactly where Jai Courtney is. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It cuts to the camp and the camp is like, <laughs> yeah. hey, there's a boat there's coming. A guy, there's a guy in a boat. So yeah, Jai, uh, Jai Courtney, mm, Cyril, blah, blah, blah. Him and his, uh, he's working with Major Hassan, who's played by Yilmaz Erdogan, uh, to locate the thousands of Anzac soldiers who died there. Against the protests of the Anzac command, Major Hassan helps Joshua locate his two younger sons using his water divining skills, apparently. There's not really much explanation there. He's following the kid's diary, like journal thing, Somewhere, and then yeah. doing a bit of magic, a bit of uh, old Russell Crowe magic. Which I'm so okay they, with. Yeah, fine. They find the two younger sons, but they can't find Arthur, the 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 eldest, who's still missing. Uh, we don't know anything about the sons' characters, as mentioned. We just know that Arthur is older than the other two and feels a responsibility towards them. Major Hassan, who fought during the campaign, he seems like a, a he seems like a nice guy. He seems a pretty solid guy who was just following orders, just doing his job. He discover he discovers that Arthur was taken prisoner during the battle, so Joshua heads back to Istanbul to find out which prison camp he might have been transferred to. And around this time, Joshua intervenes in an argument between Aisha and Omar, which ends up with Aisha telling him, leave it, just fucking leave it. He shouldn't have got involved. It's not He's my man. <laughs> no, you don't know what you're doing. It's none of your fucking business. Fuck and, then, and then Omar and his mates try to give Russell Crowe uh, a shooing outside the hotel. Ah, uh, yeah, but he's too big for he, them. He looks like he's just about to turn it around on them. Like yeah, he's yeah. just about to kick share of them, and then uh, Major Hassan's guys turn. To up be fair, he spent him. a lifetime uh, making movies, singing songs, and fighting yeah. around the world. Yeah, whoa, whoa, whoa! Making movies, making songs, and fighting around the world. See you next time, everybody. It's always good to have that handy, just when you need it. Indeed Finally, it Major Hassan discovers that Arthur might have been taken to the east of the country, which is currently being attacked by the big evil Greeks. Uh, the Major and his men are planning to head that way as part of the nationalist push to form a new country, what would become modern-day Turkey. Joshua, after escaping from the big evil British soldiers who are trying to put him on a boat back to Australia, again, that's what we do to Australians or anyone, send them to Australia. We, he gets Hassan to take him east in a scene that bears some similarity to Red's. The train they're on gets ambushed. By the Greeks, remember that when they're on the train? Oh yeah, in yeah, 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 of course, yeah, of course. Yeah, like that, and actually, I, I do think. I mean, I would normally I don't like to hear uh, actors being interviewed about anything, but I would would like to hear about because this train scene looks absolutely fabulous. I have to say, because the, the yeah, budget nice. of this film wasn't huge. It looks great. Though. The budget of this film was twenty two point five million dollar dues. And it made 38.2. So yeah, the train gets ambushed by the Greeks, like they throw plates at it. With only Joshua and Hassan escaping, they head to a town that Joshua has seen in his dreams and find Arthur. Arthur? 
uh, alive and not as mentally ill as you might um, initially expect. Yeah, he's not. He's not as <laughs> mentally ill as he should be, but he's more mentally ill than you'd like him to be. Then you'd like. Yeah, he's yeah, in the yeah. middle. He, he either be fully you're not going to go Ill, fishing together. Either be fully mentally ill or be fine. I would say. Don't be in yeah. this weird middle ground where you f- flip between the two. I think um, part of that status might be explained by the fact that the guy's not a great actor. That might be the case. Hassan heads off to batter the Greeks and Joshua and Arthur escape back to Oz. Not before Joshua, Aisha and Orhan have a, a nice little reunion at the hotel. The end. Yeah, and it looks like Russell Crowe's going to slam that. Yeah, I think he's got yeah. to. You got he's... to. This Ameri- this but there was man. some there was some signifying that I didn't get. So, like, because the music tells you that the fact that the coffee is all sludgy and shit is a good thing. Yeah. Aisha tells him she saw that he was coming back in the, the vaguest and doesn't a way that means nothing. She says, like, yeah, I saw it in the I saw it in the in the coffee grounds. Doesn't say whether they're going to end up together or anything. Just yeah, yeah I, just, I, just, I just knew you were coming back. That's all. Not happy Fair. to see you or anything, but just knew it was going to happen. So is there anybody in this cast who we haven't talked about before? Well, we have talked about old Rusty Crow as Joshua Connor. Do you remember some of the uh, Russell Crowe highlights? We talked about him on Master and Commander and True History of the Kelly Gang. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He wanted talked to be a bit. pop star. We talked about... Well, people say I'm crazy, but I don't know. Just want to be like Marlon. Come on, Randall. Oh, I remember this. Remember that one? That was his, uh, his, his early hit that he put out when he kind of looked a bit like Elvis. And obviously um... he makes movies and fights around the world. He threw a phone at someone, blah, blah, blah. But he is a great actor. He's a great actor. Uh, he, he favorite crow performances? St- I mean, I was going to bring this up in the second one until I realized oh. you de- you would definitely ask no, this no, in the first do, well, one. No, 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 no worries. No, no, for, like, for real, I, I prepared. And then I just figured, uh, like, I was preparing my half of the thing. And I was like, oh, yeah, Russell Crowe's in the first movie, too. Well, I mean, it's obviously Gladiator, I would say. Uh, I think that is... I don't think, do you know what? There's skepticism about blockbusters and sometimes just lightning strikes in a bottle and something about uh, Ridley Scott's uh, visual direction that he decided to take with that, uh, the direction uh, Crow takes with his performance, um, the art direction, everything. There's just the stars align with that movie and it's just, uh, honestly, I just think that's perfect. But besides that, because it's just such the obvious answer, to think of something that Crow really... I would say Virtuosity from 1993 or 5. Are you being, are you being glib? Yes. Okay. That was shy, in fact. It was bad. So have you got any suggestion? Uh, I'm a fan of The Insider. I like that performance. Yes, actually, he's Especially very good because in that. He's playing someone. he's playing someone else. He's not playing yeah, himself yeah. in that one. Like He's playing a character. For reals. Obviously, Master and Commander. Yes. LA Confidential, uh, of course. I think you're right with the insider, though, because certainly in the case of like the likes of Gladiator and um, Master and Commander, the material is iconic, and he leans in with his ability to be iconic. That's one of the things he has as an actor. Yeah. Is he has the ability to dominate the screen. Like, which is probably why he's uh, Javert. Yes, indeed. And like, 
which we'll we'll get to, and he's it, fantastic in that. I think, despite all all the begrudgers, but like f- even for example, in Master and Commander, the the reason it works so well the relationship between him and Maturin is because, like in the books, like Russell Crowe basically gifts Paul Bettany bits of screen time to work with like he like he dominates the dinner table he dominates that entire movie he's so just charismatic and easy with it the i and like gladiator is it seems like easy work to crow i'm sure i'm sure it's not easy work because like if everybody could do a performance like that everybody fucking would do a performance like that you know who's in the gladiator sequel is it paul mescal he's one of the people yeah he plays uh lucius no one's Oh yeah, no one's playing Crow, right? He's no, 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 no. Crow, Crow stays dead. Crow stays dead. The one other one that I remember thinking, but I do think you're right with the insider. I think the insider is for sure the right answer. But just as a side note, not a great movie, but I thought he was really good in it. Uh, Body of Lies. I think he's really good in Body of Lies because he's is that just Ridley this... Scott as well. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. And Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh yeah, he uh, he plays close to the head of the CIA, just this great big fat mess. To be fair, Russell Crowe seems to engage well with being a great big fat mess. I think it's it's in his wheelhouse more so than the the gladiator physique. Yeah, yeah, he does. He does. does. What's wrong with that? Yeah. Oof, he's got a Burt Kreischer face when you see photos of him these days. Like, he's not looking well. Kreischer's lost weight. I I don't follow him at all, but for some reason, a photo of him came up on uh, some social media I was looking at. Ah, whatever. He's doing well. He's doing well for himself. Anyway, good, this good, is good, the good. who this else? Is this uh, Walter Diviner was the first film that Russell Crowe directed, but last year he directed his second film, which he oh, also yeah, wrote called Poker tanked. Face. Poker Face, starring himself, Chris Hemsworth, and the RZA. It was roundly panned by critics, so we definitely have to watch that at some point. Yes, I think we should. Okay, next up is Olga Kurilenko as Aisha, Ukrainian actress. Kurilenko learned Turkish for the role. That's pretty good. She's very pretty. She moved to Paris at age 16 to work as a model, where I'm sure she was treated with respect and care all around. <laughs> yeah, the French men are famous for that, particularly in the modeling yep. industry. And she was earning money to support her single mother back in Ukraine. Uh, I've, read, I, I've read this before. I think I've read her Wikipedia profile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, no, I, yeah. I think she's good. I think she's absolutely fine in this as well. I think she probably suffers from being a former model. I feel like she gets tarred with a brush of model mm. rather than actress, and uh, I think she's good. She is a good actress. I mean, I mean, it's not the worst crutch to uh, cross to have to bear the fact that you're just incredibly <laughs> really, really beautiful, yeah, 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 ridiculously, ridiculously good looking. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, fuck her. No, 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 no. I feel she's, like, she's great. She's good. She's, she's good. good. She's a good pretty person. Ukrainian. Uh, the two Turkish boys, Yilmaz Erdogan, who played Major Hassan, and the other boy, Cem Yilmaz, who played his second in command. They're they're big comedy actors. Comedy actors and directors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They seem like they were doing... You know when you see a comedy from another country and it looks really, like, really broad? <laughs> like yeah, 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 wacky. Yeah. I think that was their shtick. And they got fair. cast here, and they're both solid here, doing like drama in English. So fair play to the boys. I don't want to watch their Turkish comedies. Sorry, sorry. No, neither do I. Ryan Core, who played Arthur, was arrested. No relation of the band, the Cores. <laughs> no, he was not the lost car. 
far as I know, he was arrested for haram possession a few months before the water diviner came out. He got off with 12 months good behavior. It was 0.26 grams, and he claims he never did it. It was just resting in his freezer. Just resting in his veins. That's what he said. But good old, good old Ryan Carr, he's clean. He's fine. He's all fine. I'm glad. I'm happy for him. The only interesting thing about him is he got arrested for her. Isabel Lucas, who played Natalia, the prostitute lady in the hotel, who we see once or twice. She was in the Pacific in the Shore Leave episode set in Melbourne. And on the strength of that, Spielberg allegedly put her forward for a role in Transformers, Revenge of the Fallen. Uh, Do her a favor, why don't you? Yeah, well... Who knows? She's been in a few other things. She also dated Chris Hemsworth in Big Shy of the Beef. And more recently, she's fallen out of favor due to her public support for the theory that 5G spreads COVID. But she is ridiculously good looking. So She's I think very good we looking. should hear her out on this one. <laughs> I agree. I think she I, might be on to something. I have gotten COVID several times since I've had 5G. Five times, I think. Yeah, every time I charge my phone, I get COVID. Yeah, so uh, finally, kiss, kiss me on the mouth, lady. Yeah, absolutely. Finally, last shout out to Damon Harriman, who played the big evil Irish priest at the start of the film, who gives Crow <laughs> a, a hard time about his wife dying and not getting into heaven like he will, obviously, to dull Damon Harriman. He's played uh, Charles Manson twice on screen. Would you care to guess? What those but two one of them is were. in um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Obviously. And the other um, one is a TV show. I don't know. Second season of a TV show, which involves old Mr. Davy Finch, Da Finch Man. Okay, uh, Mindhunter. It is indeed, yeah. So this guy's just, if you need a Charles Manson, you call this guy. Or a clearly a pedophile Paranoid, Irish yeah, priest. priest. Yeah, I do priest or I do insane murderer guy with vague Beatles connection. He does have that kind of face. It always makes me think of the, the number one case uh, for me in this kind of uh, thinking about casting is the pedophile in the Florida project. Like that guy is an actor and his phone rang for that part. You know what I mean? His big sweaty phone. Yeah. <laughs> or like in, in Friends where they needed a big fat girl to ruin Ross having the girls dance on his feet. So that that's part of this, the joke. There's all these cute little girls that dance with him while standing on his feet. And this big fat girl called Gert uh, shows up. It's like her casting agent had to call her, you know? I think they have to word those really carefully. I mean, especially oh, I'm sure they nowadays. Do. But... The videos that I edit for work, we have to, like, we, we've paid for all this stock footage. And when you look up the stock footage, everybody's race and body weight is named in the description because it should be yeah yeah because well it's not just it's what people I are think searching people should for. say that when they introduce themselves to you uh yeah 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 i'm a uh, white skinny fat donica mm-hmm. skinny fat yeah that's one of the terms these days anyway you got anything more for these cast bitches Hell no that's far more than these people deserve so did you prefer a uh, water diviner or les mis I would say Leslie Miserables, uh, and more because I'm a big fan of the musical. I think it might be my favorite musical. I first saw it in 2003 with the girlfriend of the time. We were running late. This was down in London, 
and you know when you've been dragged to something and if you're a bit late and then you're the one who's going like ah we should just fuck this off let's just go to the pub or something you know yes like i'm like dragging my heels making us later and later and then we finally got in and watched it and i just remember like it blew me away i was a huge fan straight away i'd never heard any of the songs before seeing it the first time and then like probably about a month or two later i was on a flight to tokyo for the first time and i popped a valium and i had a couple of pints before the flight and then i listened to the soundtrack to les mis on the that plane. sounds fantastic <laughs> i was transported to another world to paris in 1830 okay see i like this this is the second time i've watched it but there is something in it that bugged me then and i realized i have i'm able to articulate now why it bugs me still first of all to give it all its compliments it's the opposite of stagey as people say yeah. when stage adaptations are, are done in a certain way it is not stagey at all it's really really cinematic i think it's okay no the it's not my favorite thing tom hooper has done tom hooper's made cats, some great obviously. stuff <laughs> I haven't seen Cats. Uh, I no, like The Damned I, United. Have to watch it. Um, I didn't really care for The Damned United, probably because I'd read the book. That's one of the one of the few cases where I'd read the book and then was like, oh, I didn't like uh, that. John Adams is my absolute favorite thing he's done. I'm a huge fan of that. I, t- and, I think I've just seen bits of it. And it was his introduction to the uh, cinematographer that he used with uh, this and The King's Speech and then the other movies he did since a guy called Danny Cohn, which kind of established his sort of a, at the risk of sounding like a total wanker, sort of a autumnal sort of, I don't know, there's, it's it's very similar Dark to... colors. Like what Steven Spielberg has been doing since Munich, let's say. Like, that. it's that kind of thing. It's muted. It's Washed it's out. Not, um, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. There you go. So I, like, all of that I love. Obviously, the music is great it it bill it, it does that fantastic musical thing of bringing threads together at certain points and like you know when the revolution music starts that do you hear the people saying it's a whisper and you know that works in heaven as well as a great christian metaphor and the the hope of certain yeah i don't know all of the music obviously they don't need me to compliment it it's it's fucking great the thing that bugs the shit out of me though <laughs> The shit out of me. So the Valjean versus Javert story is fantastic. It's terrific. It's iconic. The love at first sight shit between Amanda Seyfried and Eddie Redmayne is a drag on the movie. Even poor Epinone, like that poor lady, whose death I actually did care about, about, uh, Eponine, whose death I did care about when it happened, actually, in the end. But for the most part, I just think... The story begins and ends and all its themes with Jean Valjean and uh, Javert. And I think that's okay. I like I understand that it's adapting a novel. I also read a little bit about the novel. That all happens in the novel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It like it's all very much in the novel, except for the ascent into heaven at the end. He just dies. (laughs) Uh, There's no ascent into heaven in the novel. But I just think that stuff is such a drag and it might be because Eddie Redmayne is the most annoying person to have ever <laughs> acted in a film ever. Uh, I hate Eddie he was Redmayne. fine in Black Death. So much. I just, I hate him. I get why, it's not that I don't get why that exists 
in the story. I get the thematic need for Cosette to be able to live a life beyond Valjean for the sacrifices that Valjean has made to her. And I get the idea of giving up a revolutionary life to just continue, you know, just living, which I think is obviously the thematic function of that relationship. But whether it's a problem of execution, whether the songs aren't good enough, the songs are not good enough when it comes to the love story. But it's such a bummer compared to the Valjean Javert story that it's just annoying whenever it takes the center stage for me personally. How do you feel about that? It's hard for me to separate from the musical just because I know the musical well. So I, you know, it's like someone coming to you with like a text and going like, what about that bit? But you're, you just think like, but that's always, it's always been there. You know what I mean? I'm like, that's always been there. I know, I guess it's a film and you can do what you want and you could cut stuff out. I agree. The first half of the film is much better for me anyway. I much preferred that. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And then there is a chunk where it slows down, and then there are like peaks, and, and then it picks up again when it, but it goes out. And... It does go up and down. Yeah, no, I I agree with that, but I think that's probably something you would level at the musical too. Hundred percent. This, I mean, this is it is such an accurate adaptation it does which i'm massively credited for massively credited for and like okay so getting back to old tommy hoops i mean i haven't seen cats i have no interest in seeing the danish girl no neither neither but what about king's speech because that's the big one king's speech is fine it's an oscar winner i don't think there's any real risks taken with that movie it's not that interesting it's fine john adams is fantastic john adams is one of I do not say this lightly. I think it's one of the best historical adaptations you'll ever see. Who plays John Adams? Is it Paul Giamatti? Oh, Giamatti. It's it's just like it's little details like places looking dirtier and colder and everybody's teeth getting bad. Like they really put an effort into the into the period stuff that it makes you as opposed to just thinking of you know, the founding fathers as uh, people who uh, rapped it, it like really puts into context <laughs> how different the fucking world was back then. That was and also I, made by Playtone. So maybe Masters of the Air will be good. Who knows? Who knows? Well, but I mean, you can definitely see the DNA across uh, Hooper's films. But that said, he's never written anything. Hooper's I think he's only, done, isn't he? Is he? Uh, he hasn't worked I think in a he's while. He's done because there's stories about him being a bit of an arsehole to VFX teams on Cats, and Cats obviously bombed so badly that there's nothing like yeah. you know you can't I can't find him working on anything. No, 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 no. He doesn't seem to be me neither. Bad news. He's like a BBC TV director guy. He went the Ridley Scott. Yeah, yeah, that's he right. Worked on um, stuff like EastEnders and Biker Grove, and then he Biker made his Grove. way over to Grove. Bike, oh, Grove. After after Biker Grove. That's a Father Ted reference. Okay. Should we take care of that now? Uh, yes. Wait, Dougal, after Biker Grove. Yes, after Biker Grove. I was worried that Father Ted was going to be trapped in the past, but as long as they've made references to things like Biker Grove, it's fine. <laughs> live forever. Yeah, okay. So what have you? do you know anything about the book of this? Uh, it was written by I haven't Victor read Hugo's. I just, yeah. I've been through the plot synopsis. I haven't read the book, but I just went through the plot to make sure it was it like... It seems mad. It seems like an early iteration of the internet. 
apparently the whole time he just deviates off and does essays about things that aren't to do <laughs> yeah, with the plot. He just like inserts his he's like, and another thing. Yeah, yeah, what yeah. What is yeah. the deal with? And then the musical, which was initially a French concept album, and then the Cats oh, guy man. was asked to make the English language version of it. And the first reviews were apparently horrible. People just didn't get what was uh, meant to be going on. But uh, by all accounts, uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber just basically nudged a few elbows and gave them some tips to like gloss it over. Not too much, just something to smoothen it out. And it just uh, started really, really working for people. I've never seen it on stage before. As I said, I was a fan of this movie when it came out, but I only saw it in the cinema. Uh, this time, the later story with the love of first sight shit kind of bummed me out. But I... It's also quite long. I mean, it's like two and a half hours. It is. But it, it's quite particularly in the... Once that uh, once that little kid, uh, Gavroche, arrives... That really picked it up a little bit for me, and I like even though Eddie Redmayne arrives around the same time, I was just waiting for Gavroche to get back into the picture. That's also where you would take a break in the musical. I never, I didn't even think about that, but of course you've got. Then you go and get your little ice cream or whatever. Yeah, the end of Act One is like they do the big one day more, and then that's the act break. So you do one day more is the end of. It is uh, the end of Act One, and then there's Act Two, and that's it. Huh. So Act Two is shorter than Act One in that case. Uh, I feel it's about the same because there's all the barricade stuff is in the second act. Everything from like because on the stage the way it appears is like there's a big barricade. There's like one big barricade and they go up it and like Eponine gets shot and all that. It'll be I think it'll be more interesting to just fly through cast and then do plot and we can discuss aspects of the film as we go through the plot because right. there's not many much interesting stuff to say with cast here. Uh, Hugh Jackman was uh, slated to be Bond. Did you know that? That seems vaguely familiar. When, though? Pre-Daniel uh, pre Craig. Be a pre-layer cake, actually. They were slotting him into the next thing. He was offered it, and he turned it down. He has said this publicly at this point. He said it about uh, 10 years ago, and it's been confirmed that he was offered the role, but it was before... Uh, layer cake and layer cake is considered to be the thing that cemented it for Daniel Craig. So there you go. He was married to Deborah Lee Furness, who's twelve years his senior. Yeah, since... I always think that's weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Since nineteen ninety six, they just broke up this year. They adopted two kids, had two miscarriages, and uh, uh, it, like uh, before they adopted the two kids, and like yeah, as I said, she was twelve years his senior. It's just uh, I don't know. Shout out to them. Apparently it was an amiable divorce and uh, apparently they got on very, very well together and were very much in love for many, many years, which I He's like. He's also to hear like about. basically English, isn't he? I thought he has like quite strong links to the UK. Yeah, yeah. But he lives in New York now. They both do. Oh, yeah. He holds yeah. British citizenship because his parents are both UK born. Uh, Russell Crowe, we heard about. Amanda Seyfried is hot. Um nothing to say. Literally uh, nothing to say about her. She's Eddie Redmayne. So an annoying Teacher. wanker. Um, like yourself. Sasha Baron Cohen is almost too much. Um, he's he's not named on the Wikipedia profile for the film. So I wonder, is that something to do with his political leanings or something? Has Tom Hooper done something that he wants to disassociate with? You sure? He is, is he not? You can link to him from the cast sidebar on the right, but he's not listed oh, in the Oh, is cast. he not in the main cast? That's weird. Yeah. It is weird, isn't it? Yeah, 
I like him in this. I think he's good. Yeah, yeah, he I is. I think he sells the car. No, I see what you've missed is the, the two of them are right next to each other. Helena ah, okay. Carta and him are right next to each other as the Thenardier. Did I tell you or did I include it in a podcast entry here that I rewatched Borat recently? Oh, I did, did, yeah, because, did yeah, yeah, with, Aaron, with Aaron waking up yeah, in the middle yeah, of the most disturbing scene. traumatized by... <laughs> that was so like funny, man. Azerbaijani man or whatever getting wrestled by... I just, we just saw our head pop up. It was like, Papa, que pasa? What was yeah. <laughs> this? It was very funny. She closed um, her eyes and had nightmares. Helena Bonham character, who, for my money, played one of the sexiest characters in movie history, uh, Marla Maybe Singer. More. Oh God! Really? She's disgusting. It's just something about that disgusting. That's I, can't, I just can't fun. be doing that. No, she needs to be hosed off. Oh yeah, but I'll do the hosing. It's disgusting. All right. Anyway, so uh, she broke up uh, Kenneth Branagh and, and Emma Thompson. They were like going out I together for she. years, and she went in there and um, blew that big fatty. And uh, yeah, but apparently Emma Thompson is grand with it. She's like, nah, we got over it. Helena's bottom card is a wonderful person. But uh, and then she was married to uh, Tim Burton for old, years. Old Timmy Burtz, yeah. Old Timmy Burtz. They had uh, houses th- that they bought next to each other and then built them together with a corridor. Uh, but then they divorced. So now somebody just has to deal with that fucking monstrosity. <laughs> but uh, anyway. Wait, she went to school with. Adam and Joe, I remember, and uh, Louis Theroux. They all went to the same school. Yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. But I think she was she was more she was in the same year as Louis Theroux's yeah, brother yeah, Marcel. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that interview. But in these days, she is with a history professor called uh, Ry Dag uh, uh, Alumbo, who's twenty one <laughs> years her junior. Nice. Nice. Right, <laughs> cash back for her. Indeed, indeed, indeed. What's and she done fine. with the house that was joined onto Tim Burton's house? Ah, oh, they sold it. Uh, that's what I meant. What a, somebody has to deal with that monstrosity. Oh, no, like they're trying to sell the two properties separate, but they're like, uh, does it have to stay joined to that yeah, to my neighbor's house? <laughs> like Edward Scissorhandsy stuff. Or there's Alice an ITV sitcom this. waiting to happen from that. Yeah. Um, Anne Hathaway. A uh, best thing in the film has to be said. She won an Oscar. Uh, she's fantastic in it. Just you see, you see her scene. You know the moment that she wins the Oscar, where her voice quivers when she goes, "From this hell, I'm living." You can see it. It's re- I was he crying. Took my childhood in his stride. Oh my god! And then in the end of the movie, uh, when. Eddie Redmayne is waking up in hospital and he's mourning for his dead friends and sings that song. And you're going, yeah, you put that next to Anne Hathaway's performance and it just guarantees her the Oscar. <laughs> just like, oh, this is a fucking weird old dildo fart who everybody hates to watch. I thought it was and... nice that they brought everyone back at the end to do the little curtain call like they would in the music. No, no, no. It, that That's part cool. is... That part is great. It's yeah. also great that Eddie Redmayne is uh, not in it. <laughs> Anyway, so let's see about Anne Hathaway. Uh, oh, yeah, she was married to this dude called uh, Raffaello Folieri, who was in a, a fraudulent investment banker. And uh, when um, they uh, split up, she went on the fags. She was on the fags for a few years. Bad news. Have you ever seen the film Havoc that she's in? No. Her and Bijou Phillips tried to they're like high school students and they try to they're like hanging out with these like mexican gangbanger guys 
And in order to hang out with them, they have to like roll a die and whatever the number is on the die, they have to have sex with that number of guys. It's a scene from the film. <laughs> nice. Yeah, that stuck with me, that part. No spoilers you... for the, the, the die rolling. I don't want to ruin it. I always, think Anna, I always think Anna Hathaway seems like a sound dude. Like, I hate she listening to... like a sound dude, yeah. I always hate listening to actors uh, interviewed, um, mainly because you can just hear there's just horseshit coming out. And it's not that you can't hear it co- coming out from her, but you can also hear, like, a little bit of humanity in it. And then you read about that constantly with her. Everyone's always saying that she's just genuinely sound out and gets along with her life. Was she and, been uh, in of late? Couldn't tell you off the top of my head. Let's have a look. Old her forties. Well, yeah, her that Armageddon time. She was in a little film called Dark Waters. Oh Have yeah, heard, heard she, of she's it? In, she's in Dark Waters. Yeah, she's <laughs> Mark Ruffalo's wife. I don't remember that at all. I don't remember. Oh yeah, Interstellar, of course, was a big one. Yeah, fair play. And she's in the uh, the WeWork thing. We crashed opposite Jared Leto. Yes, but none of those compared to her performance in this. Yeah, I mean, no. To be fair, like I, I really, really do mean that. I remember when I saw it first, and uh, I remember it this time around for a film that had large chunks that I didn't care about. Like, how zoned in you get when she sings I Dreamed a Dream is... It's a testament. Like, it's just... I don't know. Did you not find that extremely moving? Nah, they should have cast Susan Boyle. You think they should have cast <laughs> She's Susan She's a better watch. She's better at it. She had the haircut She's already. Better, she wouldn't have to mute anything. They could have had her as the after. Fairly sure she sold her teeth. It's a normal Scottish thing to do. <laughs> so why wouldn't you if you need to get a smack uh, that's what you guys like I can right? say that that's fine yeah smack I'll run through the plot quickly not quickly as fast as I want to yes you do why would you take your time so uh, Jean Valjean is doing something as a prisoner because he stole a loaf of bread for his nephew uh, he's pulling boats it looks like he's pulling boats they gotta look down they have to look down look down look down look down before you say another word, Andy, <laughs> I was going to finish this Five plot synopsis. for what you did. The rest because you tried to run. Yes, 24601. My name is Jean Valjean. And I'm Javert. Do not forget my name. name. Right. You might as well sell it now. I'll just say it. Like, the story between those two. A love story. It, well, it's fantastic. It, it kind of is a love story. They're like, they just, they're de- he has, they both have to learn something from each other. It's such good storytelling, which is why the fucking pedestrian Victorian love at first sight bullshit resolution to the story is so fucking annoying. I hated it. And like, and it's like, I studied Victorian literature for a year, like Dracula, fantastic book to read. And because you know it's of that epoch, you have to get past the fact that all the characters that are meant to end up together fall in love without any hint of sexuality at first sight, etc. And it's, I don't know, considering the realism that they put into the environments in this, I th- I'm i not asking to see them shagging or anything like that. <laughs> No, no. Fuck a second fuck. sight. You want actually no, no. Fuck. Sight. I'm not. A, I'm not asking because I'm not suggesting they change anything about this because you can't change anything about this because it's lame. Is I'm just saying. I don't, I don't like that aspect of the story. Fair play. Anyway, yeah. So Valjean gets released, but he's on parole, so everything fucks him over. He can't get a job anywhere. He um, 
then he breaks in to steal stuff from this. No, 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 sorry. This bishop invites him in to stay. Then he tries to rob the bishop and he gets apprehended. But the bishop is like, no, nah, man, I gave him all that shit. It's it's cool. And he gives him the opportunity to reinvent himself, which he does. He becomes and the that's, mayor. And uh, that bishop, the actor who played him, he was like from the 1980s. I think from like the first cast of the musical. Oh, that's cool. There's quite a few people like that sprinkled throughout the film, like actual musical actors. And obviously they're really good singers. But I think like I think the choice that they made with the film was we care about the acting more than the singing. We're going to put the emphasis on the emotional strength of of what they're doing and saying rather than like the audio quality of the singing just to make it clear like it's not the musical and which, also they sprinkle in lines of people not singing which i don't remember one or two not many. I, very few very few but mm-hmm. still what did you think of crow in it because i've heard gripes about him but i think he's excellent in this I mean, his singing's obviously not great. I've heard a lot of people say he's miscast, but I think that's based on the musical. They expect like a stronger baritone voice or whatever, and he he can't quite do that. But still, I don't think it matters because at the end of the day, it's Rus- oh my god, it's Russell Crowe. So I'm happy enough. I I like it. I, it's nice I also to see think Crow and Jack it, not working off each other. I think Javert is the most interesting character oh, in the in Javert. the whole thing. <laughs> it's, it's, very it's very funny. It's very funny the way the, the, that they introduce themselves. And I'm Javed. That is my name. <laughs> Just in case the viewers are wondering. But that's it. Yeah. You, when you're watching the musical at the start, I think you get the you get that feeling where you're like, "Oh man, is everyone going to be singing their names to each other?" Ah, yeah, yeah. But musicals just work like that. Yeah, and plus you yeah. need to know people's names. Anyway, uh, Jean, Jean Valjean becomes uh, the mayor of this town and uh, owns a factory. And, um, I, yeah, actually gets recognized by uh, his new sheriff, but not quite, uh, Javert, when he uh, exercises his superhuman strength, <laughs> From which is used. Boats. Yeah, yeah. Which this guy is used, looks like he's been lifting boats. He's only twice in the movie, but sure, whatever. <laughs> uh, he's got this um, lady called Fantine, played by Anne Hathaway, working in his factory, who gets fired uh, for being a slag. As <laughs> Basically, a, yeah. As accused by her other um, workers, and they say, "Look, she's definitely a slag. She's got a child out of wedlock, and she's probably a hooker too." Well, so she gets she gets fired, and this sequence of the film is <laughs> harrowing because first of all, you got the ladies of the night sequence, and then she start she sells her hair, she starts selling her teeth, and then she gets shagged by this cunt, and she's just <laughs> like. I know that's a horrible thing, but shouldn't you do that the other way around? Don't yeah, you, you do should. prostitution first and then you sell your hair and teeth at the end. And then... I'm not making light of it, I'm just saying. No, 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 100%. It's just so miserable. And then she sits down and sings, uh, I dreamed a dream. And it... She looks like she's lying know, the, in a coffin almost. Yeah, and the, but, and the lyrics of it really hit home because it's kind of about yeah, like... Yeah, yeah. I wasn't but always like was this. Go a different way. Yeah, exactly. And now I'm this. I dreamed a dream my life would be so much different from this hell I'm living. In Bathgate. Uh, oh my God. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, that really, really uh, choked me up. First time choked me up this time. I, 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 was, I was crying watching that. And then she gets rescued by Jean Valjean because she's about to get uh, arrested by Javert for scratching this dude's face He loves face arresting up. people. 
Yeah. Oh, he fucking loves <laughs> he it. He loves the law. And you get a you learn that he actually grew up in a slum himself later on in the movie. It's which, the worst. It's the worst yeah, time. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, Jean Valjean he rescues her, and then he gets wind that they've caught somebody else who actually matches his original prison number and he's like no I'm owning up for this this is when you get the confrontation which is a great scene a man like you can never change it's a it's very nice they confront each other but he says no he's just getting out of town and he goes and to to pick up Fantine's kid Cossette who's staying with uh, Helena Bonham character and Sasha Baron Cohen in what looks like a pretty fun hostel must be said <laughs> yeah if you don't mind getting robbed and syphilis and all sorts yeah. of crap. <laughs> um, and then we have a time jump nine years later and uh, this young kid called Gavroche introduces us to uh, Paris in the 1830s when the they were the, they've just gotten their monarchy back and they're sh- shaping up for a second revolution because they're all starved from foreign wars, basically. And uh, Eddie Redmayne's character, Marius, is shaping up to be a revolutionary, but then he gets disturbed. Well, he first of all, Epipony? Yeah, whatever she's called, Epipen. Who is uh, played by an actor from the uh, Isle of Man, first time for the podcast. Yeah, yeah. She's one of the people from the musical, Samantha Barks. Uh, attractive young lady, yeah. but that doesn't matter to young Eddie Redmond because he immediately falls in love with the white girl in the movie. Uh, no, no, he falls in love at first sight in a very annoying way with Amanda Seedfried. Uh, and um, the Isle of Man actor, Ep- Ep- Eponani. <laughs> she wants to refer to herself. Is sad. Manx Lady Eponine. The Manx Lady is sad. And then Sasha Baron Cohen's character... Uh, go along to try and um, rob the Jean Valjean's house because they might have figured out who it is. And uh, then Eponini Ep- 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 scares them away, but it gets his fi- gets Cosette's final letter to Eddie Redmayne, which she conceals. And then, for the reason of this concealment, he goes off to war because he doesn't have you know love to distract himself. So he goes off to war. And it's just, it's crazy stuff. Uh, Javert tries spying, but uh, Gavroche spots him and says, oh, no, 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 that's that guy's a spy. He's that guy. Gavroche gets shot very soon. The, the, the actor who plays that kid, he's like in his mid-20s now. And yeah, I think he's had a hard time of it because he's one of those guys who just... Like as he got older, his face stayed the same. So you mm. know he's got he's got like an adult's body, but like a ten year old street urchin's face. And uh, I think the roles dried up. It seems a bit tough because he's he posts like some Facebook posting songs, and he's obviously like a great singer. But yeah, man, it's rough. It must be so rough for like you know child actors who age out because it's almost happened to people. Like I feel like uh, Michael Sarah went through that a little. And then managed mm-hmm. to manage to pull it back because he's, yeah, he grown, he's grown into like adult face now, but it's a tough one. Yeah, then uh, Jean Valjean picks up old Marius who's been shot and they escape to poo. They go and slide down into some poo for a while. Yum, yum, yum. And then they encounter Javert who knows who Jean Valjean is. And Jean Valjean is just like, you know what? Fuck you. I'm going to walk <laughs> past. Shoot me if you want. And he doesn't shoot him. And then Javert can't believe he's had mercy 
on Jean Valjean and uh, jumps off a bridge and kills himself with a hilarious splat sound effect. <laughs> he splats proper. Um, and this is precisely when the film stops being interesting up until the 30 seconds before the end credits when we get to see heaven. Because afterwards, it's just a red man singing in a way that makes it obvious why Anne Hathaway won the Oscar. A wedding, which makes it seem like he's obviously not that bothered about being a member of the aristocracy after all. And then, uh, yeah, they because the thing is, Jean Valjean has concealed his criminal, so to speak, past from um, uh, Cosette the whole time. And also the fact that he saved Eddie Redmayne and went off to live in a convent. And uh, by punching Sasha Baron Cohen in the face, Eddie Redman gets that information and they go off to see him and they see him off just as he died. And uh, Fontaine says she uh, is happy for him taking care of her daughter. And then they lift off into the heavens and they're back on the barricades and they sing a version of Do You Hear the People Sing, but with slightly different lyrics, more aimed towards, I don't know, heavenly tidings. I mean, they hit the the revolutionary spirit of Christianity right on the head. I presume, given the time of the release of the French concept album based on Les Mis, that they were basing it somewhat on the uh, Paris Commune of the 1960s. Probably, I would... I haven't actually found anything to back that up, but I haven't looked hard enough, but I would imagine that was an inspiration for the people who put the original concept album together. Overall... Look, obviously, I'm interested in um, Victorian storylines such as such as this, like the love at first sight thing and that that tying up the story. But clearly, the Jean Valjean versus Javert uh, storyline is is the thing in this story, and uh, it's a bit of a bummer that it loses that. I gave this three and a half stars, and on my letterboxed review, I said, "Drop the lay, just miserable. It's cleaner." I'd probably go three. I'd probably go three for both of these this week, actually. Fair. I would accept that. I think that's fine. I'm giving like an extra half star to the musical, I think, or to my own memory of the musical. I wish we could just agree. Just Do you think it's possible we'll agree nope. next week? No, I don't think we should agree. I think it's wrong to agree. I don't think anyone I want should us agree, to agree on anything. We should all be Amy, Amy polarized and uh, have opposite opinions to each other. Agreed. Disagree. Nice. Yeah. What would you like to watch next week? My choice for next time is uh, a 1988 French film called Le B- The Big Bleu or Le Grand Bleu. By, I feel uh, like I've seen Luke this. Luke Besson. I feel like I might have seen a bit of it on TV when I was a kid, but I don't remember. All right. Well, mine is Elaine May's Mikey and Nicky starring Peter Falk and Nick. Uh, Nick. No, John Cassavetes. John Cassavetes, not his awful son. I say awful son, he's fine. Son, his son. All right. Is it my turn to flip or yours? It's your turn. Yeah, give me a moment. Okay. I got a 20 or I got a, honestly, a guy who looks a bit like Jean Valjean. Okay. I mean, I've got, obviously got to go for Jean Valjean. Okay. Five years. Are you ready for this? Yeah, I'm ready. 20. Yay. I mean, boo. I mean, I don't care. I actually, I no, I'm happy I lost. Good. 
Fuck the big blue. Tell Can me I tell you something? I am blue. happy that you lost also. What did you choose? Did you, did you choose a different color or a different adjective related I to I was size? confused on where to go, but I figured we did a week before on Cine de Luc, and I said, let's do another one. So I picked uh, the the one, the Luc Besson movie immediately previously that called Subway. Subway, yeah. It's about the sandwich shop. Indeed, yeah, yeah. It's the origin story of the sandwich shop. Jared, yeah. But what are we watching to accompany Mikey and Nikki? <laughs> well, as always, you get uh, the old three-way pick. You've got director, genre, or actor. And I can give you more information. They are in the years of 1972, 1973, or 1974. Director, genre, actor. You can probably figure out what some of these are from that information. Uh, if I give it the time to think, <laughs> I'm not going to do that. I will go for genre. That's the correct choice. Well done. Nice. Because 1972 director Elaine May's previous film, The Heartbreak Kid, mm -hmm. which was remade, so you dodged that bullet. 1974 was a film you've seen before. John Cassavetes directed, starring Peter Falk, A Woman Under the Influence, which oh, would yeah. have been fun. But the one which I think we've talked about, I think you put up for a toss before, is 1973's, uh, 1973's Friends of Eddie Coyle. Oh, excellent. Maybe it was me who put it up. I can't remember. But I anyway. have a DVD of that ready to go as it happens. Yes. I could watch that five minutes after we finish this podcast. That's sick. Excellent. Who's in Friends Pretty of Eddie Coyle again? Oh, Who's I'm thinking, wait. Uh, Robert Mitchum. Mitchum, okay. For some reason, I thought it had Tim Carey in it, but it doesn't. He's but it's based it, on it? a book by the same author who wrote um, the book on which Killing Them Softly is based. That's right. That's why this came up. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Robert Mitchum and Peter Boyle, directed by old Peter Yatesy. Ah, oh, well, that sounds great, doesn't it? <laughs> Genuinely, like... Peter Boyle and Robert Mitchum. Ah, well, you know what I like. Oh, Andy, I'm so glad. Yeah, it's a franchise. <laughs> Thank God, no look bassons. Thank you. I'm very much looking forward to talking about these two movies next week, and I very much enjoyed talking about these two movies Indeed. this week. All right. Now, all that's left is for me to uh, let my family go to sleep at last. Yes, do that. Please, please so, do that. I love you. I Bye. Love you Bye. Bye. Bye.